Hello fellow adventurers, I'm Erica and welcome to the Adventure On Podcast, a place where we share stories of self-discovery and lessons learned both on and off the trail. Welcome back everyone. I'm really excited for my guest today, Sherry. We met on Instagram and I've been following all of her adventures, moving a over to Hawaii, living off the grid, doing some really awesome stuff. So I'm really stoked to have her here to tell a little bit about her journey, about life off the grid and everything that she's learning in the process. So welcome, Sherry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So I'm, I'm going to just start off right at the bat. I'm 49 years old, middle-aged, Gen Xer. I was born in South Korea, maybe, because it's not really clear. And then I was adopted as a baby and came into the United States through a family, spent the first eight years of my life in New Hampshire, and then spent 41 years in Arizona. And then we just decided to up and move to Hawaii off grid. Wow. Such different places. Did you grow up going outdoors? Not really. I mean, well, I did in a sense that my parents wanted me out of the house and I used to always explore and, you know, the neighborhoods and stuff like that. And there, we, we lived in this one house where if you climb the wall, which, so I used to always like to climb stuff. If you climb the wall, these, you know, block walls that you see in Arizona, it separates everybody's house, that there were olive trees. And I used to bring my books back there and climb over the wall and make my little olive tree pies and, you know, do stuff like that and read my book and be gone like all day and ride your little 10 speed to the nearest Burger King, things like that. But I wasn't really a camper. We didn't really do anything adventurous. So that was, um, so it was kind of restricted living in the city, you know, living yeah, in an urban. Sure. So and my- what inspired this? Cause I mean, I follow you on Instagram and you're always sharing these beautiful hikes. I mean, you shared so much from when you lived in Arizona and then now this transition to Hawaii, what kind of inspired you to get out and do those things? Okay, I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> I used to run. <laughs> Uh, marathons and or a marathon. I mean, I'm, I only ran one marathon. It was the PF Changs. It's pretty flat, but I did. Um, train. Okay, around. wait, pause because that's freaking incredible. I ran a mile today, and I my legs are killing me. So if you can run twenty six miles, that's not just oh, just one little marathon. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, usually you progress after that, but I, I had like I had an injury after that, and so I. Uh. So then, but I mean, one mile is admirable. You got to start somewhere. That's how I started with one mile of walking and then, you know, one mile turned in three miles and then I did five K's and then 10 K's. And then next thing I did, wanted to do a marathon and then I did a half marathon. And then it got to the point where with ADHD, you hyper fixate on stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like, um, you're so distracted, you get nothing done. Yes. That is a component that is a behavioral component of ADHD, but you also hyper fixate on something. So like I was hyper fixated on running endurance stamina. So I used to run six miles in the morning before work and six miles at night after work. Wow. And it, yeah, it was just, and, and, you know, it's, it's funny because then I stopped I had the injury, like a lot of people you stop. And then I blew off physical therapy and, um, because I didn't do physical therapy though, I didn't get the full range of motion back. Um, I had an accessory navicular bone removed from my foot. So it dropped my arch. And so then I was kind of mm-hmm. uneven. So running is just really hard on everything. And then on top of it, when you're not balanced, then it just makes life miserable. So I probably did not go outside or was active for like 10 years. So in those 10 years, I gained 
a lot of weight. Like I have my fat picture. Like I always show people, I'm like, oh, this is my fat picture. You know, <laughs> um, I, I hold on to, I actually, it's one of the few pictures I keep on my phone just to remind myself that this is what a sedentary life. Cause I, I think I was avoiding mirrors for those 10 years. Cause I had no idea I was that big. I was, pro- I weighed, I'm five, two and weighed 160 pounds. So I was after 10 years, we already lived in right against South mountain in Arizona. And John was an avid hiker before in his years ago. And I was keeping a calorie counter app on my phone. So it's counting calories. And basically I used to do like, I started out like a mile. I was starting out again, starting Mm -hmm. over. And I would put in all the food I was eating that day. And then he said, do you want to go hike up South mountain, like up the Toronto trail? And I said, yeah, you know, I'll try that. So I entered in the exercise on the calorie counter and it showed that you lose three times the amount of calories that you would just running. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was a motivator. And then, um, I'm not going to lie. I never did the leave no trace. I didn't know anything about it when I was hiking. I just knew I really enjoyed it, but I wanted to return something for, to reward me for hiking. So I used to grab rocks off the mountain (laughs) and like put them in my Osprey backpack and like haul them back. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I was like, I feel good. I got far. And this rock is like an, a reward for what I've achieved, how far I got on the trail and everything until I broke my wrist on South Mountain. And I figured the oh, mountain. No. Yeah, the mountain gods have spoken. No more stealing rocks. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> probably bring them back. But hell no, there's a lot of rocks. Yeah, well, and that's like a little trophy of accomplishment, right? It sounds like when you were, you were running and you did this marathon and then you got an injury that puts you out for 10 years. I can only imagine seeing your body change and not moving as much, how that impacted your mental health. And then hearing you now say, you know, I started small and I started getting back out there and I started focusing on taking care of my physical body And it seems like in the process of that, those little senses of accomplishment, those little trophies you took from the mountain really shifted that, that mental state that you were in as well. God, that's a really good point. You're absolutely right. Um, I don't know if the rocks were really that little. Um, (laughs) You're just carrying boulders down the mountain. (laughs) Yeah. I never dislodged a rock. It was like, it had to be like, like just there on the trail surrounded by like rocks. So it wasn't like I, I mean, and yes, there's been times where I was like, God, these are gorgeous. And I'd stuff my backpack and then I'd lift it up and be like, it's too much. It's too much. I'm taking too much. (laughs) You know, (laughs) then I throw them back down. But, and then after I broke my wrist, that put me out for a good four weeks. And then, um, I was back at it. And then that's when I saw the Chuck Walla and I I saw this lizard emerge out of a a rock and you know, I see lizards and I love them. I love all animals, all wildlife. I don't care what it is. It's like, I'm fascinated by that. I can just stare at them and just, you know, in my head of mine, I'm just thinking, what's your life like? Like what makes you want to go back and under a rock? Like what spooks you? What are you trying to say? So I um, saw this lizard that was unlike any other lizard I've ever seen. He was massive and he like they were coming out to get the sun. It was an early hike on Geronimo. And so then I was like, I got on my stomach just to kind of get a good picture. Cause I'm like, I really need to identify what this is. And he 
like my presence didn't bother him because he wanted the sun more. So I got a couple pictures, looked it up, found out there Chuck Wallace, second largest uh, reptile, like lizard in the mainland. And basically does not pose any threat to humans whatsoever. And they're veggie eaters, an occasional bug here or there, but they have no teeth. Oh, interesting. They have no teeth. No teeth. It's just like all gummy. So yeah. And so then I would see them everywhere ever since I saw that one. And so that's what prompted me to hike even more was because an opportunity to see a Chuck Walla was like the best highlight of my day. And then when the pandemic hit, then I just started using them as therapy. Like I knew if I left at a certain time and the sun was hitting just right and it was in springtime, then I knew I would see one. And then I just hang out in the rock and talk to them and like literally use them as therapy every now yeah. and then they over, but they were like, yeah, she's not moving. She's not doing anything. She's not going to touch us. Cause I'm a big germaphobe. So I'm not going to touch them. You know, like <laughs> there was one time I wanted to, but you know, getting the nitro gloves on, it was like, it's just by that time they're like, oh, spirit, she's not going to touch us. She's like, <laughs> along with these blue, bright blue nitro gloves. <laughs> so, and then on top of that, I joined this group called Hiker Babes, mm-hmm. which is uh, all women's hiking group. And I went hiking, met some other women that like to go hiking too. And it kind of introduced me to other trails that were out there. Cause I was, I, I mean, I literally was just hiking Geronimo. I didn't even expand out to other trails in the South mountain. Geronimo was a mile from the house that I could walk to. And it had a really nice, was, had like a I think it's like a 1200 foot elevation gain. So it's a nice hike, you know, and nobody was on it at the time. Now it's kind of more crowded. But so by joining this group, Hiker Babes of Arizona, it expanded the possibility of actually hiking in other areas, actually driving somewhere and exploring. So mm-hmm. I have to attribute Hiker Babes for the, the explore, exploration factor and the challenge that it brought me to hike some of these really cool places. That's incredible. I know for me, finding a community of people that I can go outdoors with has been a game changer. And it sounds like that's the same for you. Yes and no. I mean, that's another thing with um, ADHD is just simply because you have social anxiety and a lot of people have social Mm. anxiety. I totally get that. But, you know, when you grow up with it and you're diagnosed with it as a teenager and, you know, you're talking with a group because my I don't wake up having energy. Like people automatically, one of the assumptions they have about ADHD is that you grow up, you wake up and immediately you have just a ton of energy and it never goes away. No, I'm tired when I wake up. And, but having external factors, like being outdoors and seeing something and it makes you excited, it stimulates you. That is something that triggers it. Being around people will trigger it. But then I get all chatty. I usually say something offensive. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden I don't want to be around people anymore Mm. because I, you know, you get a look like a certain look like, and nobody from hiker babes did that, but it's just in my head, I'm thinking that people are looking at me different. And then I start getting anxiety. And then it's like, that's how I inherited my trail name. Ninja girl. It's actually, I had to throw in hiker girl because there's already a ninja girl on Instagram. <laughs> so I <laughs> like go figure, you know, she probably is an actual real ninja. But anyway, so it's because I was with the group on a hiker babes hike, on a group hike. And I just, um, it was on Mormon Trail, love that trail. And I just suddenly wanted to just go do something else, wandered off. And then I saw that they, I was behind them took a shortcut. I'm not really a shortcut, but I kind of went around, bypassed him. 
And then they were coming down the mountain and they were like, I was already in the parking lot hanging out waiting for them. So they're like, oh my God, you're like a ninja. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I'll always catch up because I still need the alone time. I like to hike with a group, but I noticed that I get greater fulfillment um, either hiking with my husband or like one or two people. And I think that's like one or two people is like the max that I yeah. can handle. Then it's too chaotic for me. I think... I mean, that really speaks to me too, is, is those smaller, more intimate groups, maybe people that know you on the trail and understand if you want to go wander off this way and disappear for a little while that you'll, you'll make your way back. Yeah. Well, and I think you hit on something really, really important and true for social anxiety and, and anxiety-based disorders is there's this fear, this fear of judgment or not feeling like you can be your authentic self and feeling like if I show this, this side of myself that is, you know, maybe not as like normal for lack of a better word, because I hate that word so much that maybe yeah. people won't understand. People aren't going to understand the way that my ADHD impacts how I interact on the trail and, and that's okay. But I'm also a little bit scared of what they're going to think. And it sounds like that kind of was some of the experience that you had in that setting. Yeah. I mean, like, I think whenever anybody that's ever hiked with me, the first thing I say is I have ADHD, just so you know, it's like, it's, it's almost like a disclaimer, like the fine print, if you're going to hike with <laughs> me, just, just so you know, I'm a little crazy, you know, I can get a little crazy. Like, and I, I like, I mean, I have no filter. So I, you know, I think the older I get, the the number one misconception you get from psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, whatever, is that you grow out of it. You'll, oh, they'll outgrow their, their mental, whatever, mental illness, because ADHD is a mental illness. They'll outgrow it. It's, you know, as diagnosed as a teen, it'll get better with age. No, it's gotten like progressively worse. So, so to make me feel better so that I can be myself, I just like tell people right off the bat, oh yeah, hi, I'm Sherry. If it's a new person I'm hiking with, just so you know, I have ADHD. It's like, then it just gets it out there. So if I do something weird. But that's, I mean, like the, you'll grow out of it. We, I mean, like I grew up in the Ritalin kid phase. I was on, I have ADHD as well. I was on Ritalin. I was on Stratera. Like I was on all the drugs, you name it. It made me like a zombie of a person. And if you take those, it's totally fine. But for me, it didn't work. And I've been learning a lot in my own therapy about what, what ADHD really looks like, because I think there are misconceptions. And that's a second thing you said, like people just think I'm crazy or if I'm a little crazy, then they understand why, but like ADHD goes beyond just what like media or maybe what you were told growing up, what it looks like, because like depression is a symptom of ADHD. Anxiety is a symptom of ADHD, that social anxiety component. That's a part of it. These are all different aspects of what ADHD looks like. And there are so many misconceptions when it comes to that. It's almost like people are like, are you sure you're not bipolar? You know, it's like, first of all, I'm just going to throw it out there right now that nobody should be diagnosing themselves with ADHD, bipolar, depression, anything like that. Like based on what they're reading on social media, please do not yes. have ADHD. I second that. I mean, because I see that and I'm like, yeah, it's nice to read something that you can relate with and be like, oh yeah, that's a lot like how I'm feeling. However, 
get like a professional diagnosis. Like, I mean, don't just automatically assume that you're something because I'll tell you, there's no one you're right with normal. There's not a single normal person out there. And that's okay because that's what makes life interesting. And that's what makes this world interesting. But mood swings are one, another one. I could be really super happy. I'm usually, when I'm outside, I'm really happy. And then, you know, or I didn't realize that not having sun would actually affect me, but like, it's been raining for three days and I'm just going stir crazy in the house because, but then I realized that rain's not going to hurt you if you go outside. So why am I outside? It's like raining. It's still beautiful out and there's still wild chickens running around everywhere, you know? (laughs) So I think that's also another thing is that people just think that you're not aware of what you're doing. Like I'm very aware of what's what I'm saying, but it's almost like, like, I'll never lie. I'll never lie because I probably verbally vomited something out that was inappropriate to begin with. Mm-hmm. But at least, you know, at least, you know, where I'm coming from, you yeah. know, at least you know what's in my head when I'm thinking probably, I mean, it's like probably not the best thing. I mean, how are you doing today? Well, I'm feeling a little constipated. I'm hoping if I eat a little dairy, I'll like work itself out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like TMI, like way too much stuff that people probably don't really want to know about you. But then the best part about it is that it keeps you honest too. I mean, and it's made me more comfortable with how I am. Mm, like I, I know, how, you know, I know that I'm going to say probably something that's offensive, but it'll be okay. You know, I mean, sometimes I dig myself a bigger ditch and that's, that's awkward for me, (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay. I mean, I'm okay with it because I have no malintent. There's no malintent behind anything I say. It sounds like you just give yourself some grace to be like a human being. Yes. Like you're just raw and authentic in you and I mean, I don't want to speak for other people, but I know for myself, I have in the past been intimidated by that because I wasn't being real and I wasn't being authentic and it made me uncomfortable when uncomfortable when other people were. So being able to embrace that about yourself, I think is incredibly powerful. And I mean, it is exactly as nature is. I talked with somebody else on the podcast of kind of like that raw, authentic beauty that is nature. Like we're not going in there and trying to like make all the trees stand perfectly in a line and fix up the leaves. So they look like they fell like fluttering down in the most perfect way. Like it's a hot mess out there sometimes. And it's absolutely beautiful because of it. Absolutely. I think the best thing, the best attribute about people in general are their flaws. Yeah. And I think that them maybe they're uncomfortable with it, but I think what's even more rewarding is basically saying, it's okay. I'm not judging you. I'm not, I'm not judging you based on your flaws. In fact, I think that it's the most attractive thing about you. Oh, I love that. That's the, that's the goal. I think I try to embrace that. I know that I'm not always great at embracing it, but I think that is so powerful. We can be like, oh yeah, like you're a human being and you have these flaws and you've made these mistakes. That's cool. You're unique in those ways. And I love and accept you because of that. Right. Exactly. I don't know if you've seen this. I pulled up the ADHD iceberg. Have you seen this diagram? Someone sent it to me and I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's mm, yep. (laughs) It is. It depicts very much what ADHD is and what it's like to live with it. Because I think 
like the top of the iceberg, what you see is like trouble focusing and you're fidgeting and you're moving around a lot and you're maybe a little hyperactive, but beneath the surface, it's all of these other things that we've talked about. And I think it's really important to talk about it and break it down and say, Hey, you know what? It doesn't look just one way, just like depression doesn't look like one thing, just like anxiety doesn't look like one thing. So I think that's one of the things about flaws and recognizing the flaws in people, the people that we love the most are the ones that we're most critical of. And I think it's really hard to be in a relationship. I'm on my second marriage. I think the hardest thing is that he's completely the opposite of me. He's kind of a messy hoarder and I am very regimented and organized. Another misconception of ADHD is that we're just super messy. Like we do, like when I'm organizing every, it looks like a tornado went in the room, but in my head, I know exactly where everything is and where it needs to be. And, you know, like, I just, I just know, don't touch my shit because I know what I'm going to eventually do with, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> like, I like, put it in the middle of the floor for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And it's cluttering, you have a little pathway and like, there's no way to walk. I mean, but like for him, it's been hard because, and it's hard for me mentally, like mental health wise to come to terms with the fact that, so I moved from Arizona and I had. 2,200 square feet of a home to move. He left on December 8th and he had had 13 days to pack everything and clean the house and get it and leave. And I had, I don't know, I mean, probably a a thousand breakdowns between the time of doing it and the time it was done. I mean, crying breakdowns, like I'm never gonna, Mm -hmm. you get just get overwhelmed with everything that you can't even organize it. And then being here, and being overwhelmed again. Like it's it's like this roller coaster ride of I'm so excited to be here, but there's just so much to do. Yeah. Lots of things on that list for sure. Yeah. And I think that being outside, like hike, I miss hiking. I haven't hiked. It's been like months that I haven't hiked. And I mean, it it was the one thing that I really just really enjoyed. I it feels like I'm glamping. Like I need bottled water to brush my teeth. So I'm like, this is like <laughs> like Lamping, like so I'm, fancy. I, so, but I miss like just getting lost somewhere. And I think that I will eventually probably get lost somewhere in my freaking backyard. Like <laughs> I need a life alert bracelet. Cause I'll probably fall down that <laughs> in front of the lava tube. But like, I mean, I really miss getting lost or going out and exploring. Like, you know, that feeling you get when you go explore a new trail mm-hmm. or new climb or a new place to snowboard or whatever. It's like, you can't wait to get there. And then, and then all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed when you're there, but then when you're actually in it, you, it's the best time ever. So tell me about this middle ground of falling in love with hiking. Cause you talked about the Chuck Walla and then connecting with the hiker babes. Do you have an experience somewhere along this journey that you've been on that really stands out to you? They're like, damn, like that's my biggest accomplishment or like, that's why I keep coming back for more, like a life-changing experience, I guess. I think that there's so many. Picket Post, which is another relatively hard trail, you know, it requires some rock scrambling and some uh, like navigating. And my husband stopped midway and I said, I'll be right back. That's like my famous, famous last word. <laughs> <Right back. laughs> Two hours later, I was coming back down. I ended up doing picket posts, getting to the top and coming back down by myself. There was nobody else on the trail. That wow. was like a testament of me saying, oh, wow, I actually can do these harder trails. 
And so that kind of opened the gateway to doing the other trails, like the Superstition Ridge Line and and Capitol Butte, which that's like that's a great trail. It's you know just straight up. It's I think I can't remember. It's like three miles, and it's got like a thing. It's like a twenty twenty four hundred. And, and the scrambling, like really, I, I think there's been a couple people um, that I can attribute that have really challenged me to be more comfortable in rock scrambling. Because when you first start, you have the height issue, you have like the spare height issue. And you're like, I don't want to go too far because and then, you, you, you know, something happens where you grab onto a rock and it breaks off and you're like, oh, my God. And then you find yourself uh, crab walking down. Yeah. You know, I think that building confidence is kind of like pushing your limits to see how much you're willing to risk, but a calculated risk. Yes, for sure. And then that calculated risk, the more you kind of build your skills and your judgment and your assessment of, are you able to do that? Or, you know, are you going to need help? Like never be afraid to ask for help if you need it. Like I'm five, two, I need help all the time. Like um, <laughs> the flat iron, like right before you get up to flat iron, this one trail, it's like, I can't get, I mean, I'm, I don't do yoga. So there's no way that my ankle is going to go by my ear to get back up the <laughs> You know, like it's it's not happening, you know, like I'm 49, like what the hell? So, but I think just really pushing yourself, pushing the limit, challenging yourself. And then it's amazing. I would have never thought that I would have done the trails and scrambled as much as I have bouldered, done whatever, and just fell in love with it right away. I mean, it's like just having that problem solving, being able to figure out which is the right way to go, which is the safest way to go, what may work for me definitely is not going to work for someone else. I'm going to tell you right now. I like, I mean, everybody has to find their own way up and that's what I love about. Yes. So do what you're comfortable with, not what someone tells you to do, do what you feel comfortable and capable of doing. I love that. And I think that's so important. I've heard horror stories of people being forced into or feeling rather forced into situations where they're simply not comfortable and they get to that there's this fine line right there's your comfort zone where everything is fine and dandy and yeah we talk about getting outside of that comfort zone we talk about taking a step outside of this little bubble that we live in sometimes we have to do that without taking a leap out and getting into this like danger and panic and trauma area. Like that is not where we want to be. We want to be in the middle ground where we can learn and where we can grow, where we can challenge ourselves in ways that are, like you said, like taking a calculated risk. Yeah. Baby steps. I have bitten off more than I can chew and, and it doesn't, it's not a good feeling to do that and fail and come back down knowing that you didn't reach the top of somewhere. So, um, that was, uh, Humphreys, like when I hiked Humphreys and I ended up achieving Humphreys with my son, my 21 year old son, him and his vans and like his one bottle of water, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's like 20 years old. I mean, come on. Like, but the fact that that was, that was probably my most memorable hike was to be able to go hike with my son and spend that time with him and laughing with him and, and achieving something that I've always wanted to do but then also do it with my son. And I'm sure that he has a very similar feeling about that experience, being able to do that with his mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy that was like sitting there at the top, he's like, my son was off. Like, I mean, he literally went through the little tin box where you sign in and he like took everything out and like itemized it. I was like, really? (laughs) But while he was doing that, this guy said, wow, so you're his mom? And I said, yeah. And he said, 
wow, this is a moment he's never going to forget. And mm-hmm. I started tearing up. I'm like, oh my God, I actually did something right as a parent. Like, sometimes I look at my kids, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe they're still alive. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked a lot about what it's like to live with ADHD and in little ways of how that's trickled into your life on trail. I'm curious, what have you noticed shift surrounding your your ADHD as you've started to embrace this outdoor lifestyle more? Um, that I don't have to take meds, um, especially if I'm alone. So I do take medication. I did not take medication until, well, I was on medication when I was a teenager. And then I went off in my twenties cause um, I was in college. I was smoking a bunch of dope, smoking <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of weed. So, um, but basically I ran for a Tempe school board, like Tempe elementary school board. And that is when I started to stutter. I, it like manifested from anxiety was this weird Mm. stuff. And so because I was running for office, I asked my doctor and that's when I got on, tried the Sutera first. And it was like, it's a non-narcotic. And I was like, "Ah, this isn't helping Ritalin. And I've been on Adderall now for like, like 15 years. But when I go outside, when I hike and I'm by myself, I don't take it. So I can get lost in my own. That's kind of like how the marathon or like running was. I don't have to take, well, first of all, because you still suffer from the physiological effects of your medication. So I don't want to have a heart attack. Like <laughs> I, the Adderall is like speed, let's face it. I mean, it's like, it, the only thing it does for me is that it focuses me on something so that I'm not hyper fixating on something, but then I'm also being able to complete a task. That's yeah. but the shelf life with the medication. But when I'm outside, I don't need a shelf life. Because there's no, I have no concept of time or distance when I'm outside. And when I have a full day, it's, it's liberating. It's Just to total, be completely free. Completely free of your medication, completely free with your thoughts, completely free with how crazy you want to be. Just free altogether. No judgment, no, no nothing. Nobody's staring at you except for the Chuck Wallace. Sometimes, you know, they're one. <laughs> like nobody is, you're like there and it's like the world is yours. Yeah. For me, that's what I go out there searching for is that just being that complete, you're completely consumed by what you're doing right there in the moment and all the worries and the thoughts and everything of life just melts away as you just kind of get super grounded. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could be looking at a flower and an, or bees or something and then get distracted and go run away and go do something else. And I mean, I, Sometimes I take a lot of pictures and a lot of times I don't lately. I haven't been taking a lot of pictures. I haven't been posting on Instagram because I I have to be inspired. You know, I have to feel inspired. I have to feel like it's something I want to share that I think, um, if you read a lot of my posts, a lot of them are just basically like, it's not just about positivity. Positivity isn't going to get you out of your problems. Like it's Mm. good to have attitude and to be positive, but sometimes reality is a good way to face things too. And look at the fact that, you know, you can be positive about something, but still take the necessary steps in order to deal with the reality that you're facing. Right. Things can suck and you can be positive about the situation. It's not like, I think that toxic positivity, right? Where everything's like flowers and roses and rainbows and butterflies. And I'm not going to look at the bad. I'm not going to address the the hard things in my life because I want to be positive. Everybody to think I'm positive. Like, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing with social media and I'm not, 
I'm not bagging on it. Not every day is an adventure. You know, everybody has problems. Everybody has issues. They're just not going to advertise it on social media. Not every day is an adventure. Yeah. Rest days are just as important as the days that you're going out there climbing mountains. Our body needs time to recover physically, like physiologically, we have to take rest days and take care of our body. And I think that, I mean, obviously the mental component comes into that emotionally too, is like rest days or the hard days, days you don't want to get out of bed, the days where it's raining and dreary outside and it's okay Okay to have a down day. I mean, you recently moved out to Hawaii, very recently moved out there. You're living off the grid. You bought this beautiful land, which you showed me before we jumped on this um, podcast together. It's incredible, y'all. And if you want to see it, there's some beautiful pictures of where she is on her Instagram. I highly recommend checking it out. But how'd you end up there? Like, what inspired you to move from Arizona to this little tiny house in the middle of nowhere? Okay. So when John and I both worked in government and he Mm. was furloughed or laid off. And I just, you know, with government, you get vested. So if you get your 10 years in, then all the money that they took from your paycheck for retirement, that you get hundred percent employer match after 10 years. So that was, that was, they don't do that policy anymore, just so you know. So, so when I was able to do that, I did, I left because I just hated working for the government. So we, I decided I'm going to get my master's in business and he decided he was going to get his doctorate in business. So we decided to take time off and do that. Well, we graduated. And by the time we were done with everything, the pandemic hit and we couldn't find Mm -hmm. jobs. We love our house. It was like, you know, we bought the house brand new. It was like the model home for this little, you know, little housing complex. I mean, in South Phoenix. So the area is getting gentrified, which is a whole nother topic as well. But um, we realized that we were going to be in forbearance. We went into forbearance for about a year and a half. And then basically we didn't have mortgage. We weren't working. Even if we worked minimum wage, like, like at the Amazon warehouse or whatever, and and earn 15, 16, $17 an hour, we still wouldn't be able to cover the cost of mortgage, feed the animals and get food for ourselves and pay for the utilities. So we used to come here every December to avoid all of the family functions, because let's face it, once a year isn't going to build a relationship with your family. Right. (laughs) So, and, um, I just said, this is the housing market in Arizona is really hot. Let's take advantage of it. And as soon as he said, we didn't have the December mortgage or November mortgage, I went and I basically went online to open door. A friend of mine, she told me to go check out open door. And within like two weeks, we had, we had an offer that we couldn't refuse because that enabled us to buy this place cash outright. Wow. So we got out of debt moving to Hawaii. Yeah. That's not a story you hear often. (laughs) I know. I know. It's like, it's crazy. It's like, we're exactly where we want to be when we wanted to retire because we want to do sustainable farming. Do I know anything about sustainable farming? No. Will I, will <laughs> I learn? Yeah, maybe if I watch the same YouTube video about a hundred times, am I going to read? I have a book on the self-sufficiency homeowner. Am I going to like pick up anything on that? No, I saw the, the compost, the three bin compost thing to build. And I'm like, yeah, there's going to be an easier way. <laughs> like this is <laughs> I mean, it's, but it, I needed something different to simplify. I wanted less. And I think a part of it also is that I look at my kids, my kids are 21 and 16. They're like, we're not having children of our own. Why would we do that when the world's going to blow up? I mean, 
we're leaving this world. I mean, these weather patterns and climate change and ice, the the iceberg, the glaciers are melting. I mean, come on, there's something going on. And so I just wanted to live off grid and have the least amount of impact on the environment and plus give back. So I'm not like going to be planting a bunch of trees because first of all, I, I, I don't know how, and I probably don't have the manpower for a shovel and doing it by hand. But second of all is because it's like, to live off the land and to cultivate the land. And it's like, it's another challenge, but it's a good challenge because it's like, this is stuff that has made it so simple. Like when the movers came with the boxes from Arizona, I was like, you can just send those back. I don't need it. Hmm. (laughs) Send them back. I mean, you just, the less you use, the less you need. Yeah. So downsizing has been an eye opener. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I was always like the, when I was a single parent, it was like living paycheck to paycheck. And I always was pretty aware of like, okay, if you're not going to use that room, shut the light off. But there's like so many things I didn't know that just suck up power, like your microwave. If you keep your microwave plugged in, it's actually, it sucks up a lot of power just simply being plugged in before you even use it. It's crazy. Oh, interesting. How much, I know it's crazy how much stuff, I mean, like Ohm's law, like what was that? Like that was you know, that's a way to convert your wattage and voltage into, you uh-huh. know, when you figure out what your usage is for each appliance. I mean, it's, I unplug everything now. I mean, if you're not using it, don't leave it plugged in unless it's the yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, unless it's the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Wi-Fi. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it's just made you in water, like, you know, not all of Hawaii is rainy. And so there's places where you have to buy water and have it trucked in. That was another factor that made me want to move out of Arizona is the fact that when you look at the Hoover Dam levels, the Glen Canyon Dam, I mean, eventually, because they didn't have any consumer awareness effort to preserve the water resources, that basically hydroelectric power is going to make, it's, it's going to go out. And at some point, your water rates, I already know the water rates went up. You know, each city has had to raise their water rates. You know, you have a mess with everybody trying to negotiate water rights. And it's just one of those things where I just did not want to be a part of it. Yeah. Granted, Hawaii has its own issues as well. However, I mean, I'm not, my water's coming straight from the sky. I get my water from the rain and I only use as much as I have in that catchment. That's a 5,000 gallon catchment, by the way, which means that like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I go outside and if it's a number one, hey. I get a little air dry. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who needs a toilet? It saves a flush. You know, I mean, the one thing that uses the most amount of water is your toilet. Yeah. So, I mean, it just makes you a little bit more aware of everything that you're consuming. And so going back to living off grid and being able to not buy anything, basically build everything. So I, yeah, it may not look perfect the first time, but you know, at least I know I built it. I want to learn how to do, well, I really want to learn how to use a circular saw, but we'll wait until John leaves. (laughs) But I mean, just being able to pull stuff and say, and and look at it and think that could be for the chicken coop or Mm. that could be for some cabinets. And then looking around and saying, well, it doesn't have to be a complicated design. Look at the closet doors. I can do the cabinets like the closet, you know, so it's stuff like that. Yeah. Being really resourceful. It sounds like. Yeah. I didn't know I had it in me, but rediscovering myself. Yeah. I love it. That's so exciting. Okay. So 
all the different experiences you've had throughout your life, what do you think has like been the biggest learning experience for you in all of this? Like, what have you learned about yourself? That I will adapt. Mm. I always thought I, I was the kind of person that just went with the flow. <laughs> now, I think that everyone is resistant to change at some, you know, and they just don't know it. And that, and that you would be surprised how quickly you can adapt to life off grid or living in a different state. Or, I mean, I think that is the biggest thing that I've been kind of proud of myself about is that I'm able to adapt. So yeah, there's places I could hike. It's got a zero foot elevation gain, but it's not about the elevation gain anymore. It's Mm -hmm. about the sea, some of the tide pools and wanting to go back to swimming in the ocean and things like that. I haven't had an opportunity to because I'm trying to get the house intact. But like when I do, like I have an entire lifetime to go explore the ocean until Mauna Loa blows, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I mean, that's the thing is that there's no rush to do anything and that it doesn't matter who you are. You can adapt to any situation, whether you're on a mountain and you suddenly you get a fear of heights that you just have to, what are you, what is your coping mechanism in order to get you out of that? So that the next time you've adapted to that flat, you know, whatever that you're just trying to scramble your way up or, you know, adapting to different climates or adapting to different things that to eat. We hate change in general as humans. We just do. We want that if, if we didn't, if we weren't resistant to change, there wouldn't be a McDonald's everywhere. Right. Mm. everybody goes to another country and they're like, look, there's a McDonald's. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's okay to be resistant to change to a certain extent. And change is hard and scary. But, and I was scared. I was scared to like, you know, I was scared to move, you know, to Hawaii because I didn't know how exactly life would be. I didn't have any friends here. It's just one of those things where we can do it. You can do it. You just have to give yourself those down days to kind of reassess, regroup, and then, and then get out there and figure out what you need to do. That is such a powerful lesson to have, to be able to see that in yourself, see that like you're capable of adapting and like, look at all these ways that you've adapted and moved through uncomfortable changes in your life. And I'm curious, is that what adventure kind of is to you? I think it is. I think adventure is, I don't want to sound like it's a cliche. It's going out of your comfort zone, but I think adventure is what you make of it. And so like I could hike the same trail and it would be adventurous to me because I would see something that I didn't see before. You Mm. can walk path. And as long as you kind of keep your mind open, it's an adventure. If you see something that you've never seen before, you know, it's that feeling, it's more of a feeling. It's not really where you're at or what you're doing. It's like that. It's, it's like butterflies in your stomach and you're just like super excited and you're amped to go. Imagine being like a dog on a leash and you finally get to get off your leash and run wild. Yes. That's that's oh, adventure. that is a great way to describe it. That really lets that feeling sink in that like, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff. Even with my dogs, like we'll take them to the same trails. And every time they're just as excited as they were the very first time we took them there. That's a perfect yeah. analogy. We can learn a lot from our animals and from our surroundings because I mean, and nothing ever stays the same. And so I think that goes back to change is that nothing's ever going to stay the same. And so you might as well embrace the little change within moderation as with everything else. Moderated change is good. And 
to the extent where it doesn't overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact is that your adventure is what you make of it. So well said. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on today, Sherry. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I can't wait to follow all of your incredible journeys around Hawaii. I love what you're doing with the house and what you're doing with this space and just to follow along as you continue to adapt and grow. So, and thank you so much for having me. I hope today's episode helped you find the inspiration and courage to get outside and to find your own adventure. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. I'll be back next week with more stories from the trail. Until then, adventure on!